Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host Will Cho. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Lars Rasmussen. Welcome to the show, Lars. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So, Lars, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah, so, so I'm a computer scientist by training and I worked for a long time as a programmer and then as a manager and then as an entrepreneur. And along the way, I started investing a little bit, angel investing, and that's gradually become my, my day job, if you like. And yeah, that's, that's what I do now. I have maybe 50 startups in my portfolio, several of them Australian, my best ones, of course, Australian. Yeah, that and being a fairly new dad with my five-year-old delightful daughter. Obviously, you've got such an extensive career, being the founder of Google Maps and so on and so forth. Would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur? I would say I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I guess I got this from my family. My parents started companies, not in, in tech, it was in, in journalism. But yeah, I always thought it was a, a cool thing to do on thing. I did spend a long time in school. I have a PhD in, in computer science, so I was in my goodness, late 20s before I even graduated. And then I, my, my first job was a, a job, but I was like the first engineer in a startup that a professor from UC Berkeley, Berkeley Mike Luby, started in, in California. And so I got that immediate taste of what startup life is like. And then when, when that was over after a few years, that's when, when my brother and I started um, a little company that became Google Maps. Like we started as an independent company called Where Two Technologies, and um, and that's actually also part of my Australian history. I was kind of half in Australia when it started, 
And um, after my brother and I worked on this thing for maybe six to nine months, we we hired two um, Australian friends of ours, Noel Gordon and Stephen Ma, and kind of centered the development in uh, in Noel's spare bedroom in Sydney, which is my favorite city in the world, by the way. <laughs> With Athens and Greece a close second, that's where I live now. And um, but that's that's kind of how it started, and then we sold it to Google and. Uh, it was a, f- a fantastic ride, obviously, to be part of creating Google Maps. And as you may know, it, it, it helped start the engineering office for Google in Sydney, which is, boom, has always been one of Google's best performing engineering outfits. And then, uh, you know, again, I've, I've been on the, on the investing side of, of startups, too, and I've helped other people start their companies. And I think it's a, it's a tremendously rewarding thing when it works, and it's a tremendously painful thing when it doesn't, which I've also experienced a bunch. Out of curiosity, why did you choose Sydney? Look, it's a combination of always having been in love with Australia. I'm born in, I was born in Denmark, and even as a kid, I had this thing about Australia. And um, I had like a pen pal. Uh, in Australia when I was a kid and, and I just like loved the place never really traveled much my family was not big on traveling and and so it's just always a thing in my head that I really wanted to go to Australia and then this company I joined right after graduating they ended up building a a small development team in Sydney this was like in the in the dot-com bubble days engineers were really hard to find mm. and our CEO had some mates in Australia he hired them they set up a office and so on and then the bubble burst and that company kind of died but it was just enough that um, I'd made some friends in Australia and um, and actually at the time I was um, I was falling in love with um, a Cuban woman who became my wife. And, and it was difficult at the time for a Dane and a Cuban to be together in California where I lived. This was under George W. Bush and the immigration policies for Cubans were super crazy strict. And so then we were like, look, there's this thing in Australia. And I asked my employer, Digital Fountain, they were called, can I go to Australia so I can be with my girlfriend who became my wife later? And they were like, sure. And so you know, we did the paperwork. We we flew together to to Sydney, and unfortunately, we we kind of landed when Digital Fountain was downsizing dramatically because there was this big stock market crash centered in tech back in what two thousand one or so. But we just immediately f- fell in love with Sydney. We loved it, loved it, loved it. And then um, I was kind of back and forth between Sydney and Australia as we were starting up the mapping company. And sorry, between Sydney and, and California, I mean. But then once we sold it to Google, I really wanted to stay in Australia. And Google did not have an engineering office in Australia. And so I was kind of surprised when I rocked up to the, uh, the top VP of engineering at Google and said, hey, do you mind if we stay in Australia? And I was like, no. Sounds great. Do it. And so I, I went back to Australia. And Noel and Steve, of course, stayed there. They're from Australia from Sydney. And uh, we just kind of rocked up and they had a five person sales team and we did a hired office and we grew the hired office a little bit. And then the three of us were sitting there and we built Google Maps. We turned the technology our little startup had built into Google Maps out of that little Sydney office with my brother who stayed in California and just two more engineers that Google added to the team. And then of course that became a, a really big success and maybe 
nine months after we launched Google Maps, that same VP, Alan Eustace, I think he's left Google now, but he's a fantastic, fantastic, uh, both engineer and a, and a top-notch executive. And he, uh, he was like, look, Google Maps is such a big success. You guys are clearly thriving down in Australia. Why don't you make a real office out of this? Like start hiring. And, uh, and there were two reasons why Google was into this. One was that they just had this theory that Google should have engineering offices in every major city in the world. And Sydney is obviously one of them. And so Alan had like a checklist and Sydney was on it. And when I rocked up and said, hey, can I do this thing in Sydney? He was like, oh, check. And so he met an objective that Larry Page, I think, I said from. The other thing is that there was this really senior engineer, Google, Rob Pike, a great friend of mine now. He also had a thing for Australia. And he had kind of a, told Google, if you ever, when you ever want to build an office in Australia, I want to help. And so those two things together, the fact that a really seasoned Google engineer, plus me, who was a newbie, was willing to go there, then it just all worked out. And it was a fantastic thing. I'm going to live in Sydney, which in my opinion, is like you can't beat the, the quality of life in Sydney. We got to live there, we got to hire the best engineers in town, and we got to work on Google Maps and was like both professionally and lifestyle wise some of the best times in my life Hmm. that's really amazing what was the community like in sydney at that time the startup ecosystem was it vibrant or was it non-existent from your view well it was definitely existing uh, existent and it was i would not say it was thriving because when i arrived in sydney it was right when the bubble had burst the dot-com bubble had burst and so everyone was losing money and all of these super overvalued companies were, were, were dying. And so a lot of the big companies pulled out of Sydney and small companies too, you know, the startup that kind of brought me there died. And, and so and money was really hard to get investment at the time. On the other hand, Atlassian had started, was growing, was becoming a big thing. And a bunch of the people who had been let go as the bubble burst were like, you know, eager to build stuff. And so a lot of really interesting things came out of this kind of weird time when a bubble burst and you go from from this, we're all going to be rich, we're all going to be rich, we're all going to be rich to, whoa, everyone's firing everyone. And that kind of unleashes a lot of creativity. And and I would argue that our little startup, where to tech kind of came out of that. Like we very literally started the company because we got laid off from a larger startup that died when the bubble burst. And then, sure, it was hard to raise money, but that also brings um, an amount of clarity. You know, when you're so constrained with resources, you have to build, you know, just the core of the core of the core of your vision hmm. and see if that's, that sticks. And so I would I would say that, you know, there was some, um, it was there, that, like the seeds were there, and there's one tree at last year that was, had, had taken root and was really impressive and was growing, it was clearly going to be a big thing. And uh, so it's a great time. It was a great time to be there. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that I, I think is interesting. So the people, you know, you always build up a set of like advisors and friends and in, in your field. And when I, when I announced, look, I'm going to move to Australia permanently, there was a lot of well-meaning advice not to do that. <laughs> there was a very <laughs> strong impression that Australians they have it too good. They don't work so hard because life there is just too good. It's all about the beaches, the barbies, the beer. Mm. And that turned out to be completely unfounded. I, you know, I was worried. Maybe this is just like a land of leisure and I won't be able to 
do anything professionally. But and of course now it turned out quite the opposite. By far, by far, by far, my biggest two biggest successes, professional successes in life has come out of Sydney. And and of course what happens is we talked a bunch about this when I arrived in Sydney, that Sydney has a very strong tourism industry because it's such a beautiful an amazing country, right? And and so the tourism industry portrays the country like that as a land of leisure where people don't work very hard and it's just a, a one long party. But in, in reality, it's completely different. Like Australia has an, an incredibly well-educated workforce and incredibly hardworking, thirsty for, say, hungry for success kind of workforce. And uh, and it was great, actually. It was a great place for, for me to work on the math thing and later of course to help Canva get off the ground and I've invested in a couple of other companies that I'm very excited about that are a little younger than Canva but I think Australia like for the size of the country it has an incredible startup community has incredible impact on the world it's and then you get to live in one of the most beautiful places on on, on earth like I'm sure we used to say this that you can probably find nicer places to live and you can probably find like better places to work as a techie, but the combination of having this this major world class, vibrant city full of hardworking, well educated people in one of the most beautiful places in the world, the combination of the two is uh, is to me unbeatable. And, and actually, one when when the Google office started growing, going very fast, it was it quickly became the most most transferred to office of all of the Google engineering offices. Like a lot of the people who worked there were people who came from other Google offices that wanted to come work there, both because we were working on really exciting things, but also because of the life there is just so good that um, I'm surprised that there anyone decided not to go. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. You can probably tell I miss Australia a little bit. Just a little bit. Although I have it, I have it pretty good here in, in Athens, I should not complain. I'd love to get your your views on how our ecosystem has developed over the last two decades, and is it what you expected it to be, for better or worse? Look, from from where I am, it's my expectations were high, and they've been well exceeded. And of course, I've been super lucky, arriving at the right time when things are bubble burst, new things are just getting started, um, and I got to work for well-funded entities. I got to like meet some of the, like a large number of the best, best, best engineers in town because they were they were attracted to Google, of course. And and so I've been lucky that I was in a position to help young entrepreneurs like uh, Clifford Mel, like Canva, um, like Daniel Daniel Atas, who started a company called uh, Nira. I had to think about that because they just changed their name from Linesoft. And um, uh, another one, I think we used to be out of Melbourne. They just moved to uh, to London called Law Advisor. And uh, some others that didn't do so well. But like, I th- I'm just like super fortunate to have been in that situation and I could offer a little bit of support and be played a small role in these incredible journeys. Like Canva, I think, is by far one of the most, in the, you know, in the top five of private software companies in the world just 10 years into this journey started by two super young entrepreneurs that would not be like your you know you know they grew up in in perth and and started their first company in perth and it might not be like the, your first choice oh these are the ones that are going to change the world but once you meet them which i oh, that's an opportunity I only got because i had done certain things before that in 
in Sydney with the mapping thing and with Google and so on. And now they have blown through all expectations, like my wildest expectations for that company they've blown through and they seem to be just getting started. And then, like I said, there are other companies and there are a bunch, I, I still am learning about new, big, thriving Australian companies that are doing uh, so well. And it's impressive for a country that's so relatively small compared to, you know, I've worked in New York, I worked in Silicon Valley, of course, I worked in London, much, much bigger countries. And yet I think, well, certainly personally, I found much more success in, in Sydney. It sounds like I'm hearing that. For the country of our size, we really punched above our weight. And a lot of unicorns and exceptional founders have come to be from, from Australia. Yes. Shifting gears a little bit, from your perspective, what, what could we still be doing better though? What can we improve on? I have to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time in Sydney recently, in part, of course, because of the pandemic. But even before then, I only did a few visits. Actually, my, my most recent visit was when uh, Canva was doing some press work. They were releasing their first iPad app, and I think they were valued in the hundreds of millions. And I remember th saying out loud to the press that I think this is going to be the next unicorn of Australia. And, uh, and I remember thinking... That can't be true, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but all the, you know, the objective signs were there. The team obviously had what it took and still I'm like, that's just too good to be true, but it turned out not to be at all. And so I can't, I can't really tell you a lot about what it's like now. I can tell you what it was like when I was there, when I spent a lot of time like talking to people about entrepreneurship and technology and Australia. And I think the single thing that came up again and again and again was was people questioning whether it's possible to do things like Canva in a place like Australia, simply because of its size and its the distance from the rest of the world and so on. Mm. And I kept I kept trying to explain to people that I think possibly the difference between being able to do something like that and not being able to do something like that is exactly what you believe the answer to that question is. Right, like when you, when I met Mel and Cliff, there was like no shred of a hint of a doubt in their mind that they were going to change the world and they were going to do it out of Australia. And it didn't even occur to them to question that. But many other people did at the time. Again, this was a long time ago. This, you know, investment money was hard to get to and so on. Mm. And I think you have to have this, I, I like to call it pathological optimism to be successful at entrepreneurship. You have to have this undying, bordering on irrational belief that of course you can, because then it turns out that you actually can. And in particular, with software and technology, you can be anywhere in the world, there's a sufficient number of high quality engineers to hire, you can build anything for the whole world. That's just like how technology works. Like if you're doing hardware, other more traditional old school businesses, it might be a little harder out of Australia. But with software, yes, absolutely, you can do it from there. Mm. And probably even more so now after the pandemic and more people have gotten used to the idea of working from home, working remotely, that might make it even easier. Actually, it's like, I'm really impressed with how Canva has has tackled uh, the crises, and both in terms of keeping the morale of their team up and also coming up with the right balance between you no know, people need to be in the office occasionally to have that face time. But we recognize that you can actually be quite productive from home.
But so again, it's and I, I've seen this in other places when I when I travel and here in, in Athens as well that that before you can be successful, you have to have this the pathological optimism that of course you can, and it doesn't like Athens as well. You know, it's city same size as Sydney, the same kind of property of tremendously well educated engineers hasn't quite had that first success yet. You know, this country went through tremendous financial difficulty after the, the financial crisis and so on. But there are many exciting things. In fact, in a lot of ways, I feel like Athens is where, not quite where Sydney was when I went to Sydney, but a little bit further along the journey of becoming a really thriving, successful startup place, uh, but not as far along. So we think Athens still has to produce its first unicorn. It got pretty close recently with one of the um, like a real estate focused startup here. Anyway, so so again, I think that's a you know that's the key thing. It's like just do it. <laughs> steal someone else's motto. Like Sydney has everything it takes, and then some, to be a successful tech entrepreneur. Yeah, I love that. You you briefly, uh, I guess, alluded to it a, um, a bit about Athens and having them produce their first unicorns to get things uh, kicked off. Because I know that you were one of the key people for the Google Wave project, and it was Samantha Wong um, who who leads Blackbird in New Zealand, who described it as sort of the PayPal mafia of Australia. Hmm. I'd love to get your general thoughts on this and the perspective of is this needed for the development and, and growth of the ecosystem, like this sort of flywheel. So I think there's always going to be the situation in in a in a let's call it a, a new place, right, where where there isn't yet the kind of thriving ecosystem that exists now in Australia. Everyone is trying to make that first thing happen. That let's call it a unicorn. I'm not sure that's such a meaningful definition anymore, right? But the first seed that turns into a real tree, like Atlassian, mm. or or maybe the, the 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 maps thing that turned into the Google Office there. And that just creates, it accelerates things greatly because now people hear the story that yes, it was possible right here with the people here, with the environment, with the ecosystem, the infrastructure that's here, yes, it was possible. And then it, it, it both inspires a bunch of people, but also teaches a bunch of people how to do things. And, and the WAVE project, which by the way, was tremendously, tremendously painful to me personally when it, when it failed, it had this property that it it collected an, an, an incredible amount of really, truly outstanding world-class uh, engineers, which makes it embarrassing that I couldn't turn it into something more <laughs> successful. But it had that effect that it it gathered up this incredible number, amount of people. And then all at the same time, they were all kind of like, let go. Not like fired or anything, but the project disintegrated really quickly. And then suddenly there was this narrative. We had like 60 people on the team who were all just unbelievable, talented. And they were all now sort of with wanderlust. And and the Canva thing, by the way, the, the reason I was able to help Melon Cliff get started had a lot to do with the fact that Wave had just failed. And so there were all these people I could introduce them to, like Cameron, who became the third co-founder there, had worked on the Wave team, and uh, uh, Cam Adams, and, and Dave Herndon, who's now the CTO of Canva, was also, he was an engineer on, on that team. And many other people that work at Canva now have been key members of the of the WAVE team. And actually I have, so I, like I mentioned earlier, my, my day job is now really 
more about investing than being an entrepreneur myself. And people often ask me, well, what's your theory? And I tell them, I, honestly, I don't have a theory. And But the, the one thing I have that you could possibly call a theory is that if any one of those people from the Google Wave team in Australia is part of a founding effort of a startup, if I get a chance to invest, I will invest. Mm. And that has worked out super well. Canva, of course, is a great example of this. Um, Nira, the other Australian company I mentioned, is an example of this. And uh, I just invested actually just, re- just in the past couple of months in two other companies from people uh, out of the Wave team who are no longer in Australia, though. Uh, Dow Olsenhoff was in, in, uh, in New York. Grim Iverson was in Norway. They were both working with us in Australia and they're staying and they've just started their own companies. And I'm just like, can I please invest? And they're like, well, can we tell you what we're working on? I'm like, sure, fine, tell me. <laughs> and then they tell me and then I get even more excited. But it's it's just like an incredible number of people. Now, just back to your question, is it necessary? I don't think that particular thing is necessary. But I think it, the, the, when you follow the growth of a place from you know, not having much going on in in tech startups to having a lot going on in tech startups. There's always a, a few things like that you can point to that something happened. And sometimes, like in this case, was really a, a failure. Google Wave was a big failure. But still, enough came out of it that it helped start a bunch of other things. Yeah. I love how you constantly describe these, I guess, crisis points as and, and, and kind of make something sprout out of it. So in Sydney, you first described it as like post.com bust, um, even though everyone was losing money and so on, like people um, ended up finding their way towards startups. And with the Google Wave, um, Google Wave project here, you, you talked about how that led you to invest in Canva. I do think that, um, you know, crisis, uh, you know, everything goes in ups and downs in the world. And I do think often it's a better time to start something new and risky. Mm. When it's not that certainly starting something when you're just at the top of a bubble and it's about to burst, that can be a really unfortunate time to start something because you start with too many resources and, and you build up too big a, a, a burn rate thinking that money is so easily available that you have to worry about it. And then suddenly the money goes away because of some macroeconomic thing that happens, you know, the financial crisis or the dot-com burst or whatever it seems like may or may not be happening this year. Suddenly the money goes away and and you can't, it's hard to survive when you started at like boom time, right? But like we started at the worst of times. Like we actually didn't raise a cent of money before we sold to Google. We did everything on our you know own money. We did some contracting gigs. We didn't we didn't pay ourselves at all. We we cashed in some pensions, you know, that kind of thing. And that's painful, of course, and but it does, I think, really unleash a lot of hard work and creativity and 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 hunger and so on. That I think is a good start. But it's possible that it's kind of midway between the, the total bottom and the total top when things are like going up and up, and there's enough time left on the bubble. That may be maybe better. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't had that particular experience, but you know, you can see some of the like fintech things that have happened recently that goes from nothing to billions of dollars in just a few years, because there's so much money available right now. That might be a better time. But for me, I, what is important is that when crises do happen, that that's actually, I think, should encourage people to start things and not to be like despond and give up. You may have to like tighten your, your belt a little for a while, but but I think it's actually on, on balance a pretty good time 
to be starting something new is right in the aftermath of the bubble bursting. So Lars, what we're trying to do here at the series is to document our history, just so that we could look to the future. And we're trying to reach all corners of the ecosystem from founders, uh, policymakers, academics, uh, and so on. Yep. What one message would you want to give them? Uh, I'd say they're all a bunch of lucky bastards for living in Sydney, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, you know, life has kind of pulled me away. I'm, st I'm still hoping someday I can find my way back down there. But yeah, look, I, I just to keep at it. I think you're in, in one of the most amazing, if not the most amazing place in the world to build startups, well, to live in general and therefore to build startups. Like, you, it's, like I said before, like the ingredients you need is a, a city big enough to provide the workforce you need and with enough super well-educated individuals. I think engineers, of course, but you need that in all the fields that you need to hire for. And Sydney just like has that. And then on top, the most incredibly amazing lifestyle, which is both good for the people who live there, but it also means you can, you can easily attract others to come work there when needed. Mm. That certainly was our experience. Yeah, it's just as long as the core ingredients are present. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I hope the same is true for Athens. That remains to be seen. I'm doing my little to... Um, to make it work. I don't have a, you know, a wave team here in Athens that I can help plug into exciting startups, but <laughs> maybe I should build another um, failing project here. But, uh, but the, you know, we try, we, we invest in some companies here. We, we, yeah, we encourage people. Actually, I gave a tech talk here back when, when, when Athens was at the bottom financially, right? A few years after the financial crisis is hit, I gave a talk about this, particular thing and how my biggest success started in a similar time financially. And certainly this was in 2012. Now I'm back 10 years later and a lot of exciting things have started since then for sure. And it feels like, I hope the pandemic isn't going to mess that up, but it feels like economically it's springtime here in Athens. Um, and so if you didn't happen to live in Sydney, I'd encourage you to come work here. But, uh, but I know the one place in the world I cannot get people to come to Athens from is Sydney, Australia. <laughs> Just too good there. <laughs> That's amazing. So lastly, Lars, it's the advice question. If a brand new entrepreneur came to you, you know, given all your experience, your wins and your mistakes, what's one piece of advice you'd give them to increase their chances of success? So I don't know if there is one universal piece that will apply for everyone, right? And so I'd like to learn a little bit more about what they're planning to do. But some things I found myself mentioning more than once to different entrepreneurs is, and this is not my advice, like I think why company that popularized this thing, then you should only really start a company when you just can't help yourself. Like when, when the idea, Idea that you want to work on is so important to you and you think it's so important to the world and that you're the right person to do it that you just can't stop thinking about it and as opposed to sometimes and in particular in boom times people are like wow i should go start a company because other people who start a company seems to be doing well and having a good time and making lots of money and so on and that's not necessarily the best motivation uh, often you hear people say that it's the execution and not the idea that matters. And I don't agree with this. Like you have to have both. Like your vision has to be correct. And I think to a large extent, that's actually what went wrong with Wave is that the vision was too much about 
the work tool I personally needed and the people around me personally needed and not so much about the work tool that a mass market needed. And you know, we, we pitched this to Google as being the next email and it was just, there was a misalignment there in the market need versus what our vision was. So that's one thing. And the other thing is this, this thing about pathological optimism, right? So like you, you, you have to have it. I got, I was actually just talking to a company here in Athens who they had kind of bootstrapped themselves to a pretty decent business in, in tech. I'm not going to mention who it is, but, but they had, they, you know, they had a bunch of people, they're making a good deal of revenue, but they're not growing very fast in the space they're at. And then they have started talking internally about whether they should like really swing for the fences, like do a real, you know, international startup to aiming to be billions and billions of dollars. And then they had that same question. Lars, you think that's possible? Could we, could we do that? And I, I told them that I think they're in this position where the only missing ingredients is for you to answer that question with a yes, without hesitation. Like if you have to get me to tell you that you can do it, you probably can't. Like it has to like come from this, this sense of well, you can't possibly fail, which obviously objectively isn't true. <laughs> but, but you have to have this undying belief that it's possible. And then you end up really quite surprising yourself i mean not surprising yourself because you were sure that was the case but maybe surprising if you learn so so those are those are the key things i see over and over yeah having the right vision in addition of course to having the right team and then having that that kind of spirit I, actually one more thing if you have time often like now i have like 50 investments right and and as is often the case in a in an angel investor's portfolio there's this one standout thing called canva right that's that's just like blowing up in ways that are incredible. And so now I step back and I try to look at all 50 of the investments. Many of the ones I did in a similar period of time, so I invested in camera around 10 years ago. Many of the other things I invested in around then have, have failed and lost all the money. And, and I try to look at if I only knew what I knew about each of these when I invested, and it was all at the same time, like could I pick up what is it about Mellon Cliff that makes them the, the the big success story, and part of it is is the vision they had was just brilliant, and in a space where many other people didn't dare go because they thought Adobe, the incumbent in design, had just like one, and yet Mel and Cliff, who are in the field and intricately familiar with Adobe's products, were like, no, they haven't. But I think the the thing the thing that really stands out about them is the incredible tenacity that they have, the incredible work ethic. Almost scary, I tell you, like we met in this kind of networking organization that's about kite surfing and being on the beach and talking tech. And uh, Mel often talks about how she learned how to kite surf just to meet those people who invest in the company. But I remember we were all on the beach in these events and and when the rest of us were on the beach partying, Mel and Cliff were in the room working like every day. They just didn't stop, and they were like they were like massaging their pitch, and they were working on the vision, and they were doing this. So it just just wouldn't stop. I hope they now that they're like among the most successful people in the world. Uh, you know that they get a chance to to relax a little. Yeah. But that's the thing. This undying, I will not give up. I have an undying belief in my in my vision. Like that seems to be an ingredient that is necessary to be a successful entrepreneur. That's really inspiring. 
to play the devil's advocate a little bit, where do you draw the line between knowing that you're beating a dead horse and, and having that undying belief? Um, that's a really good question. And, um, and I, I don't have a super good answer for that, to be perfectly honest. And I have obviously been in both situations, right, where with the map story, I can trace several times where it was really tempting to give up. You know, we were, we were doing this thing. We tried to raise money. No one invested. We tried to hire people. No one would join the team until, until we got Nolan and Stephen involved down in Australia. And it was really tempting to give up. And I, I love to say that I have the same kind of undying tenacity. And maybe I do, maybe I don't. But I think the fact that we were in this crisis mode in tech and, and very few companies were hiring. That was part of the, like, we're not giving up because what are we going to do? There's no one's hiring. I mean, Google was really the only company we considered. When we considered giving up, we're like, we can go get a job at Google. And we're like, no, no, we can keep going. And so, and so there, I think definitely, if we had not had the kind of we will not give up mentality, Google Maps would have just not happened. Mm. And there were many points where it looked like it was going to fail kind of thing. And then on the other hand, you know, I worked on things that, always didn't work out. Where do you stop? You stop when you really, I mean, you know, when you really just can't continue in, in my opinion, mm. right? So like many, many, many big successes have gone through these near death experiences where if the entrepreneur had given up, it just wouldn't have happened. Right. And by having this tenacity, it still comes out. But, and so then, you know, the, the flip side is you have to be willing to, or maybe you should just ignore it entirely as you're trying your thing, but you have to be willing to suffer some pretty, pretty big setbacks. Right, so like I, we, we we've done this thing. Google Maps was a huge, huge success, and then I think we were overconfident. If such a thing is possible, I know I'm, I'm partly contradicting myself. Right, and we went in and we did this thing, and even though I'd had the success prior, you know, financially we were fine and so on. It was really hard. It was really hard when when Google suddenly pulled the plug on the on the project, and particularly because so many people knew about it. And much as I love to say, I don't care what people think about me, of course I do. And having told so many people that this was going to be a big, or implied to them that it's going to be a big thing, it was, it was very painful. And so that's the, that's the flip side of it. And I think, so right now, I'm not engaged personally in entrepreneurship. And part of it is, it's a roller coaster. You have to be willing to ride this roller coaster that has massive ups and massive downs to it. Yeah. And as an investor, I get to kind of like ride 20 separate roller coasters at the same time, right? And with some luck, they'll even each other out for me. So I can be a little calmer in my life. I just had a, uh, had my first child. She's five now. And I get to spend more time with her. And that's a choice I've made to try and, and help with the experience I've had and the little bit of money I can help invest sort of in early stage stuff. But I'm, I have to be honest with you, when I talk to an entrepreneur and I'm the investor, I'm envious. You know, there's part of me that really wants to be on the other side of that table and be the one who's about to, to do this incredibly exciting journey with its ups and downs. And maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll start a company with my daughter when she's a little older. <laughs> who knows? Anyhow. Yeah, I think I get what you're saying there. It seems to me you'd much rather go to the other extreme of beating a dead horse than risk giving up too early. Yeah, I think you have to have that approach. You have to have that approach. You have to be willing to take the, the beating if it fails. Or I think you're just unlikely to 
to succeed. And I think you know, Mel and Cliff, when I tell that story, they can, obviously, I'm not going to tell their stories here, right? But they actually, before Canva, they had some, they had some other companies they started that, were, that went through these kind of near-death things where they just pull rabbits out of the hat. And you have to do that, I think. Yeah. Lars, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on today. Oh, thank you. It's been lots of fun. Brings back such fun memories. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned, but I really love Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> At least a million times, I think. <laughs> I'm super envious of you guys living here. Although, again, Athens is uh, it's pretty cool too. Yeah. What's next for you? Um, just continually investing? Yeah. So we, you know, we're expanding our portfolio. Like I mentioned, I just invested actually two things started by former Wave team members. And we'll keep doing this. Uh, for now, I spend most of my time just trying to be a dad, which is quite hard to, <laughs> mm. but delightful. And then, then we'll see. We'll see. I had started a company with my wife in, in music tech, which uh, eventually we handed over to the team. They, it's That company has not taken off yet, but I'm quite excited about its prospect in particular now that we've given it over to uh, a younger set of entrepreneurs. And then we we have tons of ideas of things we might start and so on, but I'm kind of trying deliberately uh, along the lines of what I said earlier to not just jump into the next thing without making sure this is really what I want to spend the next 10 years of my life on, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so for now, I'm investing. If you happen to know someone looking for an investment, and we're all ears, and uh, we, we typically we try to be in the first round. We often invest in companies before they've even written a line of code. Yeah, that's us. Where could the audience go if they wanted to learn more and connect with you? Uh, connect with me? I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to get rid of me. Although, get rid of me. <laughs> get in touch with me. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it honestly works better if you can try and find a common connection that can introduce you. Because I do get a fair bit of, like, cold outreach. And I'm definitely of the sort of older school that you get more of my attention if you come with a warm introduction from someone i know hmm. although if you don't have that don't hesitate reaching out to me on linkedin i hope you enjoyed that interview more interviews are on the way follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now stay tuned for more interviews with many many more amazing people from the australian startup ecosystem Thanks for listening and see you next time.